0: Gentlemen, welcome to the fourth official episode of Bantering the Blue Shirts, your weekly podcast for the New York Rangers, hosted by Blue Shirt Banter. I am your host, Joe Fortunato, joined as always by my co-host, Michael Murphy, who is not on mute. Mike, how are you?
1: I'm okay. Are there unofficial podcasts I don't know about?
0: Uh, there are other podcasts that we don't consider official. Oh.
1: But, yeah. It is to me.
0: Um, so here is the deal, we're going to take some callers um, and what I apologize in advance for us doing this during the game Um, we didn't originally plan on that, I think Mike and I picked Tuesdays because that was the day that had the least amount of Ranger games that fell on the actual show but I cannot push it to tomorrow, I can't do tomorrow and I couldn't do Thursday either And I thought Friday was too much and I didn't want to scrap it all together, so Definitely, then not the best circumstance to start taking callers. But um, hopefully, you guys have us on in the background while you're watching the Ranger game. And worst comes to worst, you can just listen to us on the archive on iTunes or blockstalkradio.comslash Blue Shirt Or you can actually listen to us on the bottom of every Blue Shirt Banter story. The show is embedded um, under the must reads. I feel like I say that every single week. But That is where we are. We have gotten some tremendous support, so I just want to thank everybody for that. Once again, this has been a blast, and Mike and I are really enjoying it. So thank you guys for that. Um, So here's the deal. We're going to take callers up front because I'm hoping to get some of them in during the intermission uh, before the game starts. But we're going to pose a question to you that was originally started by Adam Herman last week. Adam is uh, the prospect writer for us. And the question is, if you had to pick between trading Keith Yandel or trading Rick Nash, who would you trade and why? Mike and I are going to answer the question, but we're going to answer the question after all of you guys answer the question, because we uh, get to do that because we're the host. Uh, But here are the rules, which I will go over twice. If you're going to keep Nash, you have to either trade Yandel at the deadline before the playoffs, or you have to trade him at the draft. So you're either getting a return from for assets or you're keeping him for the playoff run, and then either trading him for nothing or letting him walk for nothing. If you're keeping Yandel and you're trading Nash, we don't care when you're trading Nash. We're going to assume it's after the playoffs uh, because his value really doesn't diminish at all. But if you're keeping Yandel, you have to choose the contract that you're going to re-sign him to. It's either a five-year contract for a $7.6 million cap hit, a six-year contract for a $7 million cap hit, or a seven-year contract for a $6.5 million contract. So you're either given the Bufflin deal, five years for $7.6 million, a six-year deal for $7 million, or a seven-year deal for $6.5 million a year, just so that it's sort of, you know, that's kind of the range I think him falling in. I don't, Mike, you can't see him getting any more than that or less than that, correct, on the open market?
1: I don't think so. Uh, I think that Bufflin contract really is what you can – Point two for a direct comparison, and you know, he's still. I think what is he? What's the handle 29?
0: Yes, he's 29. So. so, on the long contract, you'd be signing him until he's 20 or excuse me, till he's 36. So, that's yeah. obviously
1: well, technically on the right side of 30, although right on the doorstep. But, yeah,
0: um, all right. So, we do have our first caller. I'm not again, I'm not sure how many we're going to have because the game is going on. I apologize for that, but. We will figure it out as we go. Uh, if you are from Blue Shirt Banter, just obviously tell us your name and then tell us your handle. So I'm going to introduce you by the area code 732 area code. You should not be muted anymore. You're on Bantering the Blue Shirts. Who's this? Uh, hello? Can you hear me? Hello? Yes, we can. Hello?
2: Okay. Hello there. My name is Paul. Nice to talk to you guys.
0: Um, oh, thank you. How are you doing today?
2: I'm doing very well, thanks. Um I always want to say I really enjoy your uh, articles on Blue Shirt Banter. I really do.
0: They're really oh, interesting.
2: So um okay, so um the person I would trade would probably be Nash, even though I would prefer to keep him, but due to the fact he has that massive what, seven point eight million dollar contract, if I'm remembering correctly. <laughs> yeah, the cap um, is would, seven eight, yeah. Okay, so I would move him, um at the draft. And you keep now. What kind
0: of contract would you sign Yandel to? Uh, I
2: would sign him to the six year, um, the, the six year deal six for the seven, seven million. Deal. Yeah.
0: Now I'm going to ask you a, a sort of unrelated question because uh, Mike okay. and I were talking about this a little bit. I, I think we're we're both sort of leaning towards keeping Yandel again. If you had to keep one of them, uh, I think the the move that everybody would like to make would be to keep both of them. But the Rangers don't have an infinite pool of money. They're obviously dealing with whatever it is that they have, and they have so little cap space as is. If you are trading Mm -hmm. Nash, are you looking to trade Nash for kind of like the Marion Gabrick deal where Broussard was better than I think anybody actually anticipated him to turn into, but are you doing like a three for one? Are you trying to trade Nash for another star? Is there something you're looking for specifically, or is it just to remove the cap hit to get some depth and then go from there?
2: Um, To be honest, I would um, do it for, one, moving the cap, but,
0: two, try to replenish our
2: prospect pool, I would think. And uh, because I know you guys always say we have a lack of prospects in our um, depth, and uh, I think we should try to get some, like, a first-round pick and maybe a young player here and there um, and maybe add more youth to the team. Um, And I think by moving uh, Nash's contract, we would be able to sign Yandel and also keep – Kreider, Yandel, and not Kreider, Yandel, um, Kreider, Yandel, and uh, Hayes, and Miller. I
0: think, I think that the, that'll yeah, be the best bets. Those are the big ones. Uh, I think the other thing that a lot of people kind of forget is because Miller agreed to his qualifying offer last year, he's arbitration mm-hmm. eligible this year, which is a, a big part of those negotiations because he does yeah. have a little bit more leverage than a normal uh, restricted free agent would have. I don't, Mike, do you know it's Hayes? Uh, does he have arbitration rights? No, right? Because he's on his entry-level contract right now, correct?
1: I believe so, yeah.
0: So I he always forget doesn't, with
1: him because the, the Chicago thing.
0: Miller does. Um, Edom was the other one, and he's not a factor anymore because he is no longer on the New York Rangers. So I think that's probably, Paul, part of the reason why a lot of people would think about moving Nash when you – when you think about the way that the Rangers are actually going to be able to save money, they need to move someone out because the contracts that they have are in there long term. I think the concern mm-hmm. for me in terms of actually moving Nash is that, yeah, he does have a $7.8 million cap hit, but it's only for two more years. And I do think there is something to be said about signing Yandel till he's 35 years old. That's a pretty hefty cap hit, but I don't think there's a any lack of logic in your assessment. And uh, congratulations, because you are the first caller in bantering the Blue Shirts history. So I want to thank you for that. Well, you're very welcome. I'm very proud to be the first one. Yeah, it feels good. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for calling in. Um, yeah, Mike, let me you ask Paul. you a question. If you're going to move Rick Nash, and again, we're going to assume that it's after the playoffs, because there's no reason to trade. Nash's value does not change today or at the draft. Yandles does because he's not signed. But if you're going yeah. to move Rick Nash, are you looking to do that kind of bolster the depth a little bit, or, or are you really kind of looking to bring something back in terms of prospects and draft picks?
1: I don't know. I think it's going for prospects is something I think where this team is not necessarily team needs isn't necessarily you know 18 and 19 year olds that can help the team. Three or four years from now, I think what might be more helpful is a deal like that Gabrick deal, where you turned a, a Gabrick type of player into, you know, what were more known commodities players who were in their, you know, lower to mid twenties who haven't hadn't yet reached their full potential and could be something more. And I think adding depth would be a great thing for the Rangers. The problem of course, is then you run into the issue of contracts and cap hits and, you know, you have to look at what else, you know, what other moves would have to be made to make a deal like that happen. But um, I might be biased only because that the gabber trade that we're referencing worked out so well, but, and I don't think any, anyone expected brassard to be quite this good. Um, but I think a deal like that would do more for the Rangers in the short term and I you can never really escape the reality that Henrik Lundqvist is only going to be the Henrik Lundqvist that we know for just a little while longer. Um and I know it's it's a point we harp on a lot on the podcast but when you start thinking about future and you know reading the tea leaves and trying to figure out what this team needs to be and what it's going to look like you can't escape the fact that the best chance the Rangers have to win a cup is with Hank and Net. And, you know, if you have to do something like move a Nash, it, would, it probably makes more sense to bring assets in that can help today and not tomorrow.
0: So the Gabrick deal in reality ended up being Gabrick for Broussard straight up to as of today. Uh, Dorsett yeah. played a really big role for the Rangers So did John Moore. The Rangers made their cup run with them, but the the residual assets was Broussard and Gabrick ended up getting traded not much longer after to Los Angeles. So what I think you look at from that standpoint is when the Rangers made the move for Rick Nash, they lost Dubinsky and they lost Anisimov and those were two very critical depth players. Now, Possession metrics and Corsi and advanced stats had really just sort of begun to poke their head out of the water and just sort of make themselves readily available for everybody. But I think a lot of people realized after the Rangers made that trade that, hey, the Rangers totally destroyed their depth to bring in Nash, and it wasn't working out. And it was that really weird period of time where the Rangers somehow had Brad Richards Marion Gabrick and Rick Nash all on the same line. And they were somehow all fitting under the salary cap. And when the Rangers looked to move Gabrick, they looked to bring in depth. And when they brought in those guys, it, it fixed things. I mean, Dorsett went on the fourth line and became the best fourth line the Rangers have had in God knows how long John Moore ended up being a serviceable defenseman on the back end. And Broussard has blossomed into one of the Rangers, bigger stars. So I think those are the types of moves that are ideal But I'm not sure how many of those moves pan out because it's sort of like the poo-poo platter, if you will, of trades like, oh, you're not really getting one great thing, but you're getting a bunch of solid things. And that's what it it turned into something better for the New York Rangers. But I do think that there's something to be said for there was a rumor this summer that the Rangers were going to trade Nash to the Blues for Steen, Oshie and then like a third piece. And that didn't happen, and I doubt that would ever happen. But those are the types of moves that you want to look for. Nash... Well, yeah, well, this, I, this simplifies
1: things, but, you know, if you look at it in terms of if you, you know, you call Nash an A player, an A-plus player, it's, it's, it's about bringing in, you know, instead of prospects or something like draft picks where it's really a lottery ticket in a lot of ways, you know, as good as, good as a scout may or may not be, you never really know what you're getting. But when you look at a player like... Brassard and you say well you know he's you know the Brassard when he was with the Blue Jackets it's all right well he's not going to be much worse than this he can be whoever a great deal better and he, I think it's a dangerous thing and I agree with you to kind of hope that you know things will work out with that but you can ask for something better than what Broussard was when the Rangers you know sent Gabrick over there and laid his Brassard. You, know, you can ask for a piece that's a little more sure of a thing, like, you know, like, you know, a TJ Oshie player or something where it's everyone agrees that he's a great player, but he's not quite a superstar. And when you're selling a superstar like Nash, it's a very different story, I think. You can ask for something and, you know, you can ask for fewer pieces, but more of them are more sure things.
0: The other aspect of that that's important is. In today's day and age, where superstars are getting contracts in the, the double-digit millions, Kane and Taves have their $10 million twin contracts, um, yeah. a guy like Nash, who is a 40-goal scorer, and I, I do think you need to put him at that level, um, is signed for two more years at $7.8 million. He's expensive, but he's cost-controlled. You don't have to worry about him. If you're a team that's a mid-level team or uh, kind of on the cusp of contending and you're looking for someone – He's not the worst guy in the world to go after, and, and he's going to be cheaper on your cap hit than the Stamkos. That's to say if your team could even sign Stamkos in the first place. And I, just, I guess the question that I have is for the Rangers, does it make more sense if that's the way that they're going about things, where they're saying Miller, Hayes, Lindbergh, Fast have to replace the, the offense that we're losing in Nash, and We're not going to take roster players. How about we take maybe one roster player and some prospects or draft picks? Do you think that's an important aspect on this too? Do you think it's worth moving a guy like Nash for the future?
1: Um,
0: I, I don't.
1: I don't put myself in that camp. Uh, I'm. I should also point out that I'm not exactly thrilled that it feels like every trade deadline we move our second and first round picks. With, it's like our annual celebration of the trade deadline, but um, you know, I, I look at what what the Rangers have been able to do in the draft, and you, you know, they make made some big splashes with getting guys like Duclair and Bucinevich, and you think of, well, imagine if we had all of our picks, what we could do. <laughs> but uh, you know, I'm not I'm not exactly in love with the idea of selling Nash and getting picks for that for that point I made before, which is. You know, unless it's a really special player, and you know, I know there's a couple names after Austin Matthews, but you know, are there guys who can help the next season? And you know, it's the clock is ticking on Hank. The clock is ticking on a couple other players. You know, it's you know, if we all gripe and moan about Girardi today, you know, Girardi with another year of tread, you know, tread off his tires is is a real problem. Like there, there's a clock for that creates this window of success that the Rangers have. And I think it's the window is only going to get smaller. I don't think it'll close completely because I think there's a lot of potential for the team to be good for, you know, after Hank is out of his prime, but the team has the potential to be great. You know, it has, even with like the up and down season that has been the Rangers, you know, since the word go after their, their crazy start to this season, it's, you know, they're still considered a power in the East. And, you know, it's, I don't think you can overlook the fact that this team can be great. So I don't know, man, what I say by Hank, by the way. Uh, <laughs>
0: Those it, are the dangers of doing the show with the Ranger game on.
1: It, it, yeah. Um. I don't know. I don't get the, you know, do you think it's worth draft picks for Nash? You know, on draft day, we move them to, you know, essentially move up the draft board, but in a big dramatic way or, You know, and also, of course, the other return in that trade would be freeing up cap space, which is something that is often overlooked, but it's often the reason why deals like that get made is because, you know, it's the same reason why people complain so much about Girardi and Glass is because they eat up cap space. But, you know, everyone eats up cap space, and if they're gone in a trade, then the cap space is created.
0: My quick answer, because we do have another caller, is the players that you want out of the draft you're not getting for Rick Nash because none of those teams are close enough to contenders that they're willing to burn that type of an asset for two years of Rick Nash. Um, So that's definitely, I think that's a big part of it. Let's grab the caller. 516, you are on the air. Who's this? Uh, This is Tony. Um, Can we talk about the Islanders? Oh, this is Tony. You know, I should recognize (laughs) your number. For those of you who – (laughs) Our members of Blue Shirt Panther, you are well aware of Tony, our three years running top commenter on Blue Shirt Panther has helped us become a three year running champion of what I like to call the comment war, which is I think last year in 2015, we had about 325,000 comments and Tony amassed more than 10% of those. So the man, Tony is Blue Shirt Manor. The legend, Tony. How are you doing, my friend? I'm
3: I'm doing well, Joe and Mike. How are you guys doing? Everything okay? Everything's great, man. Everything I hear,
0: it is quite a bit better. Um, so I'm going to ask you the question that we started with these uh, with these calls from. If you had a pick, are you trading Nash or are you trading Yandel? If you couldn't keep both of them, you had to trade one of them. Wow. That's
3: a, that's pretty tough. I, I have to say that it's gotten to the point now where it appears like Gandel has become a big part of the team. And, you know, I, I, I've been one to say that I've been hoping that they hold on to him and you just find a way to keep him on the team going forward. You know, start moving contracts and whatever else. And with the injury situation with Nash and now all of a sudden it's coming out that maybe it's not just a bone bruise, that he actually has a fracture, which changes everything. And then you think about what kind of trade value does he have now with this type of injury, and he's, what, 32, 33 years old or something like that? Yeah, 32. With with an almost $8 million cap hit. I mean, it gets to the point where you say, what is, what is his trade value, um, especially right now, which probably isn't as high as in the off season. So maybe, if anything, that uh, this decision is made in the off season, when the Rangers get a uh, better gauge of what Yandel would accept to stay with the Rangers. I I read something this morning, as a matter of fact, that uh, said that evidently Yandel's mother said to Yandel himself, I've never seen you more happy, uh, because he's on the Rangers. So does that factor in and instead of taking seven million dollars a year, he maybe takes six million dollars a year or six point five million a
0: year? Who knows? Yeah. Only he can answer. You you bring up a great point, Tony, that I think we we probably mentioned at at nauseum, but when Nash comes into the equation, it it changes things a little bit. And uh, to the person who just called in three, four, seven, I see you. We're going to get to you in a minute. So don't go anywhere. Um, The, when you're looking at the trade value of Rick Nash, and you're looking at the the trade value of Keith Yandel, time is on the the Rangers side for Nash. If the Rangers want to make a decision on Rick Nash, this off season, they can, and it doesn't hurt them. It doesn't diminish his value. It, it, he's the got maybe even more trade value over the summer when teams think they're better than they are and they think they can contend and they think they're building something than he would today when the lines are drawn in the sand. But with Yandel, you have no time. Your the trade deadline is on Monday. It's six days away. You have to make your decision on Yandel before that, because if you don't, as soon as the trade deadline passes, if Yandel's still in a New York Rangers uniform, you're either re-signing him or he has all the leverage when it comes down to contract negotiations, and you're either letting him walk away for nothing, or you're trading him at the deadline for his negotiation rights, which is like a fourth-round pick, maybe. So well, if the thing, Rangers, Joe, let, also- let
3: me ask you this. Let me ask you this, okay? We go back and forth and say, you know, hop on the idea you can't give him up for nothing. Well, here, here's the real question for me, okay? You look at this team, you look at the way it's been built for the last couple of years. It is win now, okay? And as far as I'm concerned, this year is it. I don't think they can win next year uh, unless something miraculous happens and Gordon pulls a rabbit out of a hat. But I truly believe that this has been a three-year plan, and this is the last year of that three years. And if they if they mm. trade Yandle now they certainly will not win, okay? So, to me, I think the lesser of the two evils is to say, you know what, we're going for it. Let's keep them on the team and then figure out later on what we're going to do because certainly trading him now, what are you going to get back that is going to help this team win this year?
1: Yeah, and that's the, I think that's the big part of this is that is there a trade to be made with Yandel that, Will actually help the team this season. Will help them with this Cup run. And, and I don't think you'll find a player who's. I mean, t- just look at Yandel's performance against the Red Wings recently, and how big of a factor was in that game and the the pass that created the penalty shot for Jesper Fast. Is you know, and today against the, or should I should say tonight against the the Devils. You know, practically put it in off of Dominic Moore, and into the net. I mean you don't find defensemen who can move the puck like that often. And, you know, with, with the injuries to the blue line, you know, he's been asked to step up and you, you can see when he's actually given ice time and he's actually put in a position to succeed,
0: he does just that. He succeeds. And I don't think. Yeah. Go ahead, Joe. I I was just going to say, you brought up what I think is the biggest question and I'll Tony, I'll ask you this and then I'll let you go so we can grab uh, this other caller. But, I agree with you, by the way, that I think the Rangers are – I don't agree that the window closes completely at the end of the year. Uh, I think the Rangers could do things to prolong that. It's whether or not they want to do things. But if the Rangers are going for it this year, and I think they are, if Brian McDonough is healthy and the defense is healthy and Yandel gets mitigated back to that third-pairing, second-power play guy that he was until these injuries cropped up, are you going to regret – not trading him because you're basically wasting him in that role anyway. And do you trust Vigneault to keep him as this 22 to 25 minute a night defenseman who's playing a plethora of the power play minutes? Do you trust Vigneault to do that? I
3: mean, mean, it really comes down to very simply, I mean, you know how I feel about this coach. And uh, it's interesting because the first year he was here, he had no power because he was a new coach coming in and he played – uh, the cards that he was dealt. And he did a great job. Then all of a sudden, off the success of year one, he gets more power and uh, decision-making and personnel because he went to the finals and we get 10 a glass. Year three, he's entrenched because now he's gone to Stanley Cup final and an Eastern Conference final. And now the organization is listening to him. And you see what we have. So... The thing is, is that a lot of what their problems are to me is because of the coach. I mean, Yandel has been forced into almost 25 minutes a game and is finally on the first power play, which he should have been the minute he walked in the door last year. Okay, and look what he's doing. This is not Yandel not being able to play. This is the coach not putting him in, you know, a situation that succeed, like we could name five or six, seven other players that are in the same situation because of the coach.
0: Tony, bring in the heat. Tony, the last thing that I would mm. say as, as I let you go, on thank Don't you see. for calling in. It is, it is wonderful to hear your voice. Uh, you sound very good on the radio. Let your wife know that I said that because she is mad at me for having <laughs> you comment on the website so much. But there is a, a common <laughs> – thread of, of people thank you for calling in tony honestly who say that the third year of a coach is the hardest year because if you don't win in the first two years your message has been given for two seasons and it starts to get repetitive and if you look at yeah, what the players get tired of hearing the same bus, motivations yeah. right against uh against, for tortorella it was the same thing around year three is sort of where things started becoming shaky so I think that's a great point that Tony brings up. Vigneault has definitely been given more power as he's gone along. And a lot of these roster decisions are his and his alone. And it seems like Gordon has definitely given him the reins on that. So that was Tony, the famous Tony. I hope he continues to call in because he's a dear friend, a dear friend of the site and uh, one of the smarter guys out there. So three, four, seven, you have been holding for seven minutes. I apologize. You are on bantering the blue shirts. Who's this?
4: Now, why do you have to apologize, Joe? It's your old buddy. It's your old buddy, Dan's Ten.
0: Well, look at that. How are you doing, my friend? Never as good as you. Good, good voice. Never as good as you. So, Dan is. <laughs> I, I don't think you're the oldest member of the website no. as of right now. No. I think that. <laughs> I think that goes to Moosh. <laughs> pretty quick but, yeah, uh, to turn that away. Yeah, to turn that away. But you are you are pretty close to one of the original members. I don't even think Moosh was an original member. The the first commenter I can ever remember was 17 to the rafters. Uh, so whoever that guy is, he has not commented <laughs> in years. You are the first, and I am putting it over the airwaves. But Dan has been with us for a very long time. He is uh, also a dear friend of the site. I am so glad to hear your voice and to hear you calling in. Uh, so we'll ask you the same question, buddy. You, you have to pick one, Nash or Yandel. Who do you get rid of and why?
4: Our um, money would say Yandel, simply because one year, two point six five, six two five million, million, uh, quick move, quick, easy move. Depends on what you get back. Uh, a lot of teams looking for a defenseman like a Keith Yandel, but I'm going to go in the other direction. I'm going to say Nash. And everybody knows, and everybody who knows on Blue Shirt Banter, uh, how much I raved about getting Rick Nash in the first place, how much it made a lot of sense back then. Um, I think the, the well has dried up, and I think that uh, three years, going on four, and it's been the same routine. Now, I give Rick Nash credit for one thing. He's improved his overall game being here. Um, He has a 26 and a uh, 42-goal season under his belt here. With this coach, he has actually found more opportunity for his offense and more opportunity for his defensive play to grow. And those things are very interesting. But I think by the time you look up at it, um, I have to agree with something that was said. I don't know if it was you, Joe, or Mike, who said uh, the issue about um, how much depth he removed. Um, I got to go along with that, and I'll go with a caveat with that. The thing that I saw the most that the Rangers were able to get, they were able to move out some players in that deal, Dubinsky and Amnesimov, players who were actually able to play center ice, okay, and also play wings here before. What it has done, it has actually changed the dynamic of the players who have come along, like Hayes, like uh, uh, Lindbergh, okay, who if they were up under the same situation, with, uh, with John Tortorella, uh, with this coach, Elaine Vigneault, um, they would be fourth-line players. Each of them will be fourth-line players with no other opportunities. So these guys who are centers have actually gotten some chances to be centers on this team, and that has actually helped. So in a way where it might have hurt us, it's actually helped us, and obviously it's left us with a 40-goal scorer, but a 40-goal scorer who makes close to $8 million a year. So, yes, you're right. We need to take care of the of the uh, cap issue. But by the same token, you've gotten the benefit of having a four-year player who has not let this team down until you get to the playoffs. Uh,
0: I think Mike and I have, I'm sure there's a million minutes worth of podcast for Nash's playoff performances. Uh, I was hoping that last year was sort of a, the moment where people would sort of back away, but it's New York is such a tough market in that, in terms of that. And I really do think that in 2014, mm-hmm. he was so snake bitten. And, and 2015 is, I understand, you only get so many cracks at the, you only get so many kicks at the can. I'm so terrible at these. I screw yeah. them up all the time and everybody yells at me, but kicks at the can. So, Dan, you, you brought me. up a, actually a really good point that I'm kind of curious about. Uh, I'm, I'm curious what you want to say about that, Mike, in that. Dubinsky and Anisimov became very valuable players elsewhere, and Anisimov is currently doing wonderful things for Chicago. Dubinsky has been exactly what Columbus has been looking for from the moment that he got there. But the wing-centered dynamic, Tortorello was very rigid in in the way that he handled his players and the way that he handled. He, He mixed up lines all the time, but I think Mignot is really the first coach to kind of experiment with this uh, okay, Hayes, you're going to play at center, or maybe the wing, or Miller, we need you at center here, but you can play on the wing. Miller's been taking a lot more face-offs of late. He's taking face-offs on the power mm. play. Sometimes you see him moved up, and he's between Brassard Do you agree with Dan that the catalyst of that was kind of fitting pieces around the players that the Rangers lost in those deals, or do you think it's just the difference between two coaches?
1: I don't know. I think that's a tricky thing. You know, I can't pretend that, you know, the point that Dan makes is a good one, which is it opened essentially spots in the roster where we've seen really important players, i.e. Hayes and Lindbergh step in, and, you know, Miller to his own extent coming in at center. And, you know, it's, it's interesting to think of how many, you know, prospective centers have been through the Rangers in the past 10 years or so, um, and how... You know, the probably the most consistent one center that's been here is Broussard, who didn't come out of our system. Uh, but it's, it's the thing I can't help think about. Uh, I know this is off topic, but I think the reason why I tend to lean towards moving Nash is, you know, Joe, you and I have talked about the fact that Nash doesn't have the Gabrick-like shot. He doesn't have an amazing shot. And the question, I think, it's very fair is, you know, you know, the point that Dan's brought up with, you know, his two-way game is, I don't think any of us expected him to be a great penalty killer and a player who can do a little bit of everything, which is what he appears to now be. But, you know, he's he makes that money not to kill penalties. Uh, he makes that money to score goals. And I'm not confident that someone who depends on his size and speed and the combination of those two traits so much is going to be Someone that's more important than a Keith handle in a short amount of time. I mean, guys, I, I went
2: guys,
4: completely. What's up, guys? Can I, can I interrupt you a second? I need to. I wanted to, to actually ask you a question, Mike. You just brought up an excellent point regarding you know the the the, the play of Rick Nash overall. Mm-hmm. Um, my question to you, Mike, is: as you see it, when you look at Rick Nash and look at his overall game. Doesn't that then say that the issue really is that Jeff Gordon really needs to look at uh, adding some depth to that bottom six? If you really want to take Nash away from being just a penalty killer or, you know, just a power play guy, you you want him to have the overall skills. But doesn't that mean then that you need to accent your, your third and fourth lines, your penalty kill routine, so that you don't have to uh. use a Rick Nash that you it up?
1: Oh, I absolutely agree, and I know it's you know it's a it's a boring record to put on, but I don't think there's a better example than the 1.45 million or whatever it is that we have tied up in Tanner Glass for the season after this one. You okay. know, does Tanner Glass kill penalties? He better not, uh, <laughs> but we <laughs> but make does. sure that Rick Very Nash awful. does. Yeah, yeah, and that's I think that's a problem because you can have. Money being put in better places in the bottom six, and you can get more scoring out of the bottom six. In tonight's game, you know we saw, you know, Stolberg get involved in in the offense, and you know we got Marukrivic getting his first you know point at the NHL level. But it's this team is so dependent on pressure and offense coming from its its top six, and really, you know, at the end of the day, really just Matt Zuccarello creating things. And, you know, I don't know if I feel confident with that, that design, which is why I think I lean towards adding that depth and adding, you know, a, some more B-plus sort of players at the expense of Rick Nash. And it's not an indictment on Nash and his play. It's it's really the fact that the depth that is here, frankly, isn't good enough.
0: Yeah, that's I can such, agree
4: with that.
0: It, it's such a great question, and I was going to bring this up too. The Vigneault has done a really good job. I think Nash got a really bad rap when he came over from Columbus that he was just a goal scorer. Nash was a penalty killer in Columbus. He was a penalty killer for Team Canada in the Olympics. He, he's a guy who was a three-zone monster. And personally, that's one of the best traits about Rick Nash is that even on a game where he's not scoring or on a night when he's got an off night and he's not creating anything offensively, he's still helping the team and he's still helping. Yeah, he never hurts the team. Right. He's never a detriment to have out on the ice, and I think that's something that gets overlooked immensely. He is a presence in every zone, in almost every game. He really is. So, the question that you're posing is, I think, a big advocate of the advanced statistics argument, which is, if you could put a guy like Nash in the offensive zone a lot more, because you can put a fourth line of Brian Boyle, Dominic Moore, and Derek Dorsett in the defensive zone more because they're more able to handle those minutes, wouldn't you want to do something like that? So when you have to give Nash those defensive zone starts because Vigneault is concerned about the fourth line getting their teeth kicked in, you're sort of wasting him a little bit. And I'm not saying that's the reason why his numbers haven't been where they should be. I think he was a little snick in This year he's obviously come on a bit, but – Despite all of Nash's warts, he's been a very consistent goal scorer for the New York Rangers, and he's been a very consistent goal scorer in the NHL. So he's the type of guy that you get that depth for because you can use him offensively. You put Zuccarello, Broussard, Nash, Hayes, Kreider, if you shelter them in the offensive zone, not that Nash needs to be sheltered, you're only helping yourself. And they have not been able to do that because, quite frankly, their bottom six is either A, not been solidified, or B, the fourth line that Vigneault has been leaning on like it's 2014, isn't capable of handling those assignments. And I think it's, a, it's sort of ironic that as we're talking about this, Lee Stepniak just scored the go-ahead goal for the Devils, who was a player that the Rangers traded for nothing. They traded him for a player that they knew was not going to resign, that was going to the KHL. They got rid of him to make cap space to fit James Shepard, who they then did not use because they wanted to make sure that Tanner Glass was playing. And that's, to Tony's point, these are the decisions that come from the top. These are the head coach's decisions. And if Stepniak, mm-hmm. granted he would not be playing a top six role for the New York Rangers, but he has this, I think he would be the leading point scorer or the second leading point scorer on the New York Rangers right now. And he was the guy who <laughs> just threw away, and he was the guy who had to sign a PTO to even get a job in the first place. So... Mike and I have agreed that the depth of uh, the asset management and the asset evaluation of this team has been flawed for certain people. And I think Vigneault ended up pushing the right buttons on guys like JT Miller and Oscar Lindbergh. And hopefully he continues to push the right buttons for those guys. But I also think he's pushed the wrong buttons with Kevin Hayes, Brady Shea, Dylan McElrath. And those are just things that it's, it's a give and take to an extent, but I, I think that a lot of these decisions come from him and the Rangers' lack of depth is hurting Nash, and if people think that's an indictment on Nash, they're, they're very wrong. So, Dan, you you brought the heat too. We have a lot of people who are bringing the heat today. That was that was fantastic. Anything else you want to throw out there? Because you're going to get booted in a couple of minutes when the uh, the show officially uh, stops.
4: Just 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 a quickie from me. I gotta disagree a little bit about the last part of your statement with uh, with the Nash with the, the Nash depth depth mm-hmm. that is a need, but there is not depth that is that is not existent in the organization um i do think part of the issue is that rick nash does need to probably be on another team um he needs to be under another coach but let's not devalue what rick nash has given to this team by the same token i do think that glenn say needs to needs to be put out put out the pasture but that's a different story for a different day um He's got to take a little bit of responsibility here for one move that was not made, okay? And that was not adding another forward to play on the top six, okay, with a Rick Nash, with uh, Derek uh, Brissard alongside of having Derek Stepan and such. You've got to add some. The reason why the Kings, the reason why the Sharks, the reason why the Ducks, the reason why these teams have, have played so well, and have fared very well is because of the fact that they have gotten enough depth that they don't rely on one guy, two guys. They make it six deep, eight deep, 10 deep, 12 deep. That's got to be done here. If it's not done here, uh, they're going to, once again, we're going to get bounced out pretty quickly. That's all for me guys.
0: Well, thank you so much, Dan. Those are some some great points. I, I really appreciate you calling in. Um, just a reminder, because the show is going to kick off for you guys in about three minutes, that Mike and I are going to go a little extra, so you have to download it. It is the Tony methodology of podcasts. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us <laughs> on blogtalkradio.com slash Banter. Um, you can listen to us underneath the must-read section of every single uh, story that goes up on Blue Shirt Banter. You can find us on dot twitter.com slash Banter. Facebook.com slash blueshirtbanter and blueshirtbanter.com slash riveters. You can find Mike on blueshirtbanter, the Riveters hub, and today's Slapshot and at dig deep on the the old Twitter. So thank you guys for the support. Um, Mike and I are going to actually take Dan's point, which is the fact of the matter is the Nash has been relied on to be the guy and really the only guy. And even if you look at those other teams mm. that he's talking about, there are definitely other goal scorers to go along with them. Getflap has Perry, Thornton has Marlou Marlou even has uh, Pavelski. There are a bunch of different people who can really get down there and score if someone's having an off night. The Rangers have a lot of great complementary pieces, but Broussard's not really a goal scorer. Neither is Zuccarello, even though they're they're finally shooting and turning into those guys. Kreider. Could have been that guy. So he's he's doing that because they had to. Yet. Right, exactly, because Nash has been out. So I do think there is, he's right. I mean, Sabre needs to take a lot of this blame because he's the one who put this team together. But one of the rumors out there from Elliot Friedman in his Always Fantastic 30 Thoughts column is, and again, this is sort of a, a speculative, he's more talking to himself than anything else. He's not saying this has been talked about, he's not saying it's on the table. Eric Stahl to the Rangers. He thinks that's a likely landing point, and then to compound that, Bob McKenzie today on the radio kind of made a similar statement that he could see that happening. Now, Mike, knowing that this is just a rumor, that it's not even really a rumor. It's more speculation than anything else. Does that scare the crap out of you because of what the Rangers would have to give up to get him?
1: Well, the, the name they tied to it, I mean, was Kreider, which is you know, I, I, don't so I don't know if that's...
0: I, I actually don't think they did. I, what Friedman was saying was that Kreider was on the block. The Rangers, not that he was on the yeah. block, but the Rangers had extended his name out a there. Separate thought, yeah. The Eric Stahl thing so is right. separate. I don't think Kreider would be involved with Stahl because I don't think the Rangers would be willing to move Kreider for a rental. So, uh, assuming Kreider is not part of that deal, because I honestly don't think it would work out for any of them. Does the idea of
1: Eric Stahl being linked to the New York Rangers, even speculatively, scare you? I, I think uh, speculatively, sure, it scares me, only because of the question of what what must be given up for that to happen. But there's also the issue of, you know, is it center depth that this team needs? You know, is, is do we need Eric Stahl's skill set? You know, is that something this team is, you know is really craving is you know a big a big guy in the middle who can you know who can finish but isn't has never really been considered an elite goal scorer he's just again like a great all-around player but you know he's not the player he was 5 years ago um i don't know if he's going to be an answer but it's i think it's really a question of what you know what you do with a player like that who it's what you give up is really what what matters for all the speculation talk, which is why I've never been particularly brilliant at talking about these because I I never feel comfortable or confident talking about a trade that hasn't happened or that we don't have a good idea of what it would actually entail. Uh, do you think and, Eric Stahl is the sort of player
0: the Rangers need? Need is such a such a an interesting word in these.
1: Well, would they you hit, would they benefit? You hit, let's say well let's say they trade trade for him with players who aren't currently on the roster.
0: Okay, so,
1: so, you know, we'll call it draft picks and prospects. Would he help the team?
0: You hit the nail on the head. It's all about the re- the return that Carolina would be getting. Yeah. I-, I think Stoll would absolutely help the team in a playoff run. He's another guy who, even though he's had some down years, he's a power forward. He He pulls the defense. Some of his numbers might be because of the fact that the Hurricanes aren't very good. If Stahl wasn't the guy and say Nash came back and was healthy and it was Nash, Broussard, Zuccarello, and then you had Stephon, Stahl, and Kreider, Stephon, Stahl, and Miller, you're, that top six is wild than what the Rangers have right now. Um, yeah. But the question becomes, is Stahl coming at the expense of a roster player or is Stahl coming at the expense of picks and prospects, in which case Glass gets knocked down to the minors, and then you have a fourth line of more Stahlberg and um, fast or some combination along those lines. I think that's the big question, but there's a huge caveat here. And the caveat is you cannot move a Buchnevich or a Shea or a Kovacs or a Sorella for Stahl. You can't move another first. Yeah, you you, we,
1: we, yeah. We can't again, see an an Anthony Duclair, block from right. under and wearing another team's jersey because you look at it happening and, you know, I know DeClaire's had an up and down year, but he's a baby and he almost, I think he's at almost at 20 goals now. I forget. um It's just, you look at that happening and you say, oh, that could have helped us this year. Um, <laughs> and you, you can only say that so many years in a row and realize what you actually gave up in the trade like that before you, you just get a headache because you know, as brilliant as Eric Stall has been for stretches of his career. And, you know, you know, you can talk about all the intangibles, you know, he has a cup in Carolina and yada, 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 when he was a rookie and, you know, how important he's been there. And, you know, who knows, maybe he'll make Mark Stahl better, you know, all the nonsense intangibles you want to throw at this. It doesn't change the fact that, you know, if, if we're in strictly win now, can't not consider it if he's on the market, which it looks like he is, but really it's going to come down to what the market price is on deadline day or leading up to deadline day, which is why if the Rangers are considering this, they might want to go ahead and start cooking now because there's a lot of power in setting the market price and not having to wait to see what you have to pay. Uh, And, you know, I don't know exactly what i would give up to get stall and i think that's why i'm so hesitant because i can't think of what would be a fair deal where i'd be comfortable losing you know asset x y or z or all of them and still landing someone that has the name recognition and value of someone like an eric stall i mean it's not an easy thing to to just you know pull out of a hat
0: let me ask you this if it comes at the expense of oscar lindberg are you comfortable with that (sighs) <sighs> not straight up, but Lindbergh's part of a package. Say it's Lindbergh like a middling prospect and a, a pick. Not a first round pick, but a pick. Are you comfortable with that? Because I don't know if I totally am because here's the reality. If you you're not signing him next year. Stall's making eight point two million right now. Uh, he did yeah. have two monster playoff years, but they were a long time ago. When they won the cup, he had twenty eight points in twenty five games. His last playoff appearance, and it is a sin that he's only played in two years' worth of the playoffs, he had 10 goals yeah. in 18 games in 2008-2009. So you're, you're talking about a guy who's definitely going to be able to help. I don't know if I'm comfortable giving up that type because if Lindbergh goes out the window, that depth that we're talking about is gone. When you think of the Rangers' cost-controlled players, Lindbergh is signed next year at, I think, a $950,000 cap hit. That's a steal. You got fast. You're hopefully bringing back in Hayes, Miller on the cheap. Kreider comes back, I hope. Kind of sounds like that might not be totally on par, but you hope to bring those guys back in. If you subtract the Lindbergh, you're securing Tanner Glass to be on the team again next year in a primary role. Who knows if the Rangers are going to be able to keep Victor Stahlberg. Dominic Moore is probably on his way out. The Rangers are going to have a depth problem if they give up those types of players. So I get it. You have to be a win-now team when you're a win-now team, but I don't think you have to go crazy. And unless the Rangers can get Stall for cheap, and he has a no-trade clause, and who knows if Carolina even wants to trade him, he's the face of that franchise. They definitely need all the good press they can get. I would be very uncomfortable if it came at the expense of one of those players, be it a Fast or a Lindberg or whatever. Um, so I don't want to run too far over. Mike, because this is the show before the, dra- or the trade deadline, I will just ask you the unfair, very quick question. What do you think the Rangers do with the trade deadline?
1: Well, uh, I have a feeling they won't move the handle. I don't know why I feel that way, but with everything that's happened and, you know, with the health question marks of Stahl and McDonough and, you know, Girardi looking like he has them looking, I, I don't think anyone in the front office isn't aware that Girardi is a nightmare. Um, I'm starting to think that Yandel will stick around and that will just kind of create the headache that it creates in the off season. I do see the Rangers adding at the deadline because they're the Rangers and that's what they do. Um, I think it's just a question of what sort of piece will they be adding, which is why I raised the point about Stahl and, you know, the type of player he is, you know, there's, I think, what is it, uh, Nichushkin who's been talked about now being on the block. Uh, Lars Eller is on the block at Montreal. You know, there are guys out there who can can help the Rangers. And, you know, there are some guys out there that are, you know, there's question marks about what their potential is and what their value is and all that. And, you know, I think a healthy Rangers is a very good team. And we haven't seen a lot of that this year with, with the injuries up and down the lineup. But I don't know. Do you, do you see them being buyers or big buyers?
0: I, I see them being buyers. Uh, I don't think I see them being big buyers. Uh, Stall yeah. would be a, a big money acquisition, but I, I honestly don't think he could command the type of presence or, or prospects or picks that he would have a year ago or even two years ago. Um, no, I agree I, that, yeah. I, I think the Rangers are going to make one or two depth moves. I, I think they are going to gun for a goal scorer and I think they're going to do something like a, a James Shepard last year or try to do something savvy like that. And I think that's where the Rangers are going to be, all in. Uh, I, I don't see them moving Yandel, and I, I don't see them moving Girardi or Stahl, uh, even if uh, Nishkinen is supposedly out there for Yandel if the Rangers wanted it. I, I just don't see it happening. But like I told Tony, I think it was, if the Rangers keep Yandel, and then when everybody's healthy, relegate him to that third pairing second power play guy it's a travesty and if Ryan McDonough is not fully healthy yeah I'm not totally sure the Rangers should be going for it anyway but I agree with you I see them making some depth moves and I see them trying to bring in a goal scorer whoever it may be maybe Versteeg, maybe Stahl whoever it is I I just see it happening so um, thank you everybody that is going to be it for us we will go back to well, we were always on Tuesday. Sorry, I was thinking that we'd push the show ahead. Uh, we will be on Tuesday after the trade deadline. So the trade deadline will occur Monday. Mike and I will have the full recap of what happened and what the New York Rangers did on that next Tuesday at 8 o'clock. Again, a big thank you for all of you for downloading. The the support has been overwhelming. Uh, you can find us on iTunes. You can subscribe to us there. You can rate us and give us comments. You should do that and say nice things. Uh, thank you to all of you guys who called in. Find us on Blue Panther. Social media, type in the website and then put Blue Shirt Panther and find Mike at slash riveters, Blue Shirt Panther. And you can find him on today's slapshot. Uh, thank you so much, Mike. Another great episode. Thank you, guys. We will see you next week. And the- try not to turn to the drink this week with all the rumors that are coming because I'm sure it's going to be a lot. Oh, the rumors. All oh, the rumors. All right. See you next week, guys. Thanks.